0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 4 as we get started. Proverbs chapter 4. Picking up where we were a week ago. Proverbs chapter 4. One item before we get started, I uh, finally settled my mind on the Schaefer Conference in June, so uh, that means on June 17th I will not be here for a Proverbs class. I'll be on the road to uh, West Houston Bible Church on Wednesday the 17th, so there'll be no Proverbs class that morning. I still need to uh, kind of get a survey of people that intend to attend Schaefer and who might not be attending Schaefer and don't know yet who uh, I'm going to ask to cover that Wednesday night class. It might be Lewis or Dan or Bob or Radley or somebody we will get to cover that Wednesday night class. Um, but so if uh, you're thinking about attending Schaefer, let me know. And if you're thinking of not attending Schaefer and you're interested in that Wednesday night class, let me know. And uh, we'll get that figured out between now and June 17th. All right, Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me. Then he taught me. And this is what we're going to pick up on this theme of teaching here. Because it comes up in verse 4, and it comes back again in uh in verse 11, I have directed you. That's a, that's the verb for teaching. The same verb that we have in verse 4. In the way of wisdom, and I have led you in upright paths. And so we've got to take a look at the vocabulary in verse 11. We've got to bring it back to verse 4 and understand how this all connects together in the process of this chapter all right so that's a lot in front of us before we get started though let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the father to sanctify our thinking to set aside distractions to bless our time in his word today shall we pray Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the blessings we have to study your scriptures. We thank you for the whole counsel of your word, Father, from Genesis to Revelation and In particular, this morning, Father, the poetry of wisdom literature, the blessings of Psalms and Proverbs, and and where we are today in Proverbs chapter 4, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. I ask that you would bless our study. Let this passage come alive in our thinking, Father, that we might live it in our families from generation to generation. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are getting ready now, I think, for main point two, because if I'm not mistaken, we covered subpoint F and 1, 2, 3 last week. Is that correct? You got that in your notebook? All right. Well, then, picking up where we are, we understand that this is a collective address to plural sons in verses 1 through 9. And uh, the detail from verses 1 through 9 we went through in subpoints uh, A, B, C, D, E, and uh, F. I think the significance of acquiring is one that we want to pay attention to and one that we're going to um, be looking at down the road. Uh, the verb kana, and what we deal with with kana, number 7069. And the idea of kana is to acquire by whatever means. The means is irrelevant. Kana means acquire. And maybe you're buying it, maybe you're stealing it, maybe you're birthing it, maybe you're building it, maybe you're creating it, maybe you just... Found it lying in a street somewhere, Uh, but you acquired it. It, uh, It previously was not yours, but now it is yours. You have acquired it. You have laid claim to it. You are in possession of it, ownership of it, sovereignty over it. It is yours. You are personalizing it, and this becomes huge because, particularly in the realms of doctrine that we're looking at here in this chapter, doctrine has to be taught persuasively and personally doctrine needs to be received persuasively and personally whereby it becomes yours all right we talked about that when he taught when david was speaking here about my law do not forget uh, in verse five nor turn away from the words of my mouth and he talks about my commandments in verse four let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. My Torah. All right? When does God's Torah become my Torah? Well, when I'm persuaded by it and when I accept it personally. When I have personalized the word of God. that It's not just external data. It's not just gnosis. It's not simply just a collection of facts. But it is the living and abiding word of God and it is mine. He has blessed me with this truth and I personalize the Word of God. And so the idea of acquiring, 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 we never stop acquiring. We never stop learning. We never reach a point in our Christian walk where we say, okay, that's enough. I've acquired enough. I know enough, all right? And now I'm I'm retired from the, from the learning business. Never. We are never retired from the learning business in terms of the Word of God. So uh, Stay tuned for more on that. We'll have more on the verb "kana" in uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, In point F, wisdom is embraced as a son to a mother. And I just want to remind you of this. I'm not going to reteach it all, but um, there's different kinds of hugging, all right? There's different kinds of hugging. And a little boy hugging his mom... Is different than a grown man hugging his wife, all right? And that, and, and the Bible uses this imagery, and the and the language of the of the wisdom literature uses this, and it gets kind of gets blunt. It talks about caressing and fondling and bosoms and all kinds of stuff that we want to be, you know, we want to be mature about. But but understand, there's a reason why the Bible uses the very blunt expressions that it uses, and it's because when you're talking to your child, uh, particularly your child who's no really not a child anymore he's on the verge of adulthood and uh, you've got to be blunt and you got to just spell it out and say here's what it is and here's what the father designed and here's how you can line yourself up for blessing and here's how you can ruin the rest of your life you can make bad choices now they're going to do damage for years and years and years to come and you've got to be blunt at this stage and and we're going to be dealing with that here in verse uh, in, in this very chapter actually because in these early verses, it's the younger age. It's, it's a tender and the only son on the side of my mother. And so there's, there's hugging here, there's holding fast. Um, in verse 6, do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. That's verse 6. Verse 8 says, prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. And that's the child embracing his mother. She will place on your head a garland of grace. Okay, this is still a child that's young enough that the mother is dressing this boy. The mother is putting the the hat on his head and the uh, the garland of grace, the the crown of beauty. Okay, this is not the child that's old enough to dress himself. Now we're going to get into the next stage uh, in the next paragraph, verses ten and following, and we're going to have there's going to be some more. Hugging. There's going to be some more holding, and in particular, the the verb in verse 13, which we'll talk about, take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. And this is not only a hugging and a holding, but now there is a protective role. This isn't mom taking care of her little boy anymore. This is a man defending his woman. All right, where you are taking hold and you are and you are protecting. Okay. Of course, in verse 13, the object is, is uh, the Word of God, all right? And if, uh, if the young man is not equipped to, to have and to hold the Word of God, to be intimate with the Word of God, and to protect and defend the Word of God, then he's not ready to be hugging girls, all right, he's not ready to be to be uh, uh, you know courting or uh, uh, being a suitor for marriage and so forth. He's not ready for marriage if he's not intimate with the Word of God. If he does not uh, prepare to defend the Word of God, so we'll be talking about that as well, and uh, and all of these uh, hugging classes that we're going to have. And and I'm, I'm just cracking myself up because you know I'm not a hugger. All right, but this is what we're going to learn. We're going to learn hugging lessons in. Uh, these chapters, verse four, verse five, uh, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter nine. There's an awful lot of hugging and fondling, caressing, bosoms, things like that. Um, so we got those lessons coming up, and that's how blunt and direct we've got to be with ourselves first of all, but then with the next generation as they approach what, what I call generational accountability, or I guess Ralph called generational accountability, and I stole that stole that term from him. Alright, we have some subpoints under this, uh, 1, 2, and 3, but I'm just going to skip through and get to the next slide, which I think is, nope, right there. Point 2 now. The middle portion of Proverbs 4 illustrates the point when a son enters into his own generational accountability. The middle portion, we're talking verses 10 through 19 now. The middle portion of Proverbs 4 illustrates the point when a son enters into his own generational accountability. Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 19. So let's take a look at these verses and then uh, come back to the beginning and start to detail the points of study. Let's just read through now, 10 through 19. Hear my son and accept my sayings. Notice it goes back to the singular again. Hear my son. And accept my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. Your life. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When uh, Notice, it's kind of like, my job's over. I've done this. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. Alright? It's on you now. I've done my job. We'll say more on that here in a moment. Verse 12, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. The way of darkness is consuming. It is absolutely thought controlling. And uh, it's the, we'll discuss that when we talk about the mental addictions that enslave the mind. Uh, verse 17, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Or if you have the old King James, until the perfect day day and we'll discuss this i think there's a metaphor involved i think there's imagery in the poetry but i also believe there's a dispensational significance what is the perfect day when it comes to the protocol plan of god when it comes to the um is it the church age is it the millennium is it the fullness of times what are we talking about is it eternity future what is the perfect day in terms of the plan of god for the maximum glory of jesus christ Finally, then verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. All right, so here's what we're dealing with in terms of these verses here. We're going to handle this as a middle section uh, under point two with all the subpoints that are going to follow like we handled verses one through nine under main point one and all the subpoints A through F. Likewise, we're going to take this middle portion of chapter four under main point two and uh, handle it with all the, the subpoints, uh, again, A through F. And then we'll move on to main point three when we get to verses 20 through 27, the final portion here of uh, the final of the, the "My Son" exhortations there, starting in, in verse 20. So let's back up a little bit. What are we dealing with here in verse 10? We're talking about your life, your life is highlighted in verse 10. As the work of parenting is viewed in its completion. As the work of parenting is viewed in its completion. Verse 11. So going back to verses 10 and 11 and seeing the contrast here and seeing the expressions as they are uh, indicated. Hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. What happens when a child leaves home? What happens when the, uh, a man leaves father and mother and cleaves to one another and the two shall become one flesh? What happens when you enter into your own generational accountability? You then embark on your life, all right? Your life out of the nest, your life in your own generation, your life uh, apart from the accountability, the umbrella of accountability and blessing that you have in the in the family relationship as a child under the parental authority. Alright? Your life is highlighted in verse 10 as the work of parenting is viewed in its completion, verse 11. Notice the tenses here of the verbs, as completed. Alright? As completed. Hebrew tends to stress either incomplete ongoing action or completed action. And what we have here is completed. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. All right? Now that's not to say, of course, that, of course, there's additional instruction down the road. There's other things that can still be learned after you leave home. Other things that you learn for years and years afterwards if God is gracious enough to allow your, you know, a relationship with your parents down the road and whatnot, obviously. <laughs> when, when my son was born, I, 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 that's the day I learned how, how smart my dad really was, all right? Because I started going to him and asking questions and then and learning and, uh, and things. And years prior to that, I was not really eager to hear what he had to say in uh, a couple of aspects. So um, it's not that the teaching stops, but the teaching is definitely different all right. And it's not the same as the instruction and the leadership that occurs in verse 11, okay? Cuz there's uh, and we'll talk about these verbs here in a moment, but the uh for for teaching and for leading, leading is the is the uh walking the walk, all right? In the in the example pattern that the father is setting for the son. So again, verse 10 compared to verse 11 looking at Proverbs chapter four. The middle portion of Proverbs four illustrates the point when a son enters into his own generational accountability saying, look, I'm done. I've done this. You've seen this. You now have to live your life and you're equipped to do so. You're absolutely equipped to do so. I have no fears at all that, that the Lord is with you because you know uh, you don't have all the answers, you, you, but you know where the answers are. All right? You know how to live your life. You know how to be humble before the Word of God. You know in your generation that Bible class is important. And you're, you're not going to church anymore because mom and dad are making you go to church. You're going to church now because you're a believer priest and you're a part of the body of a lampstand and you have gifts, ministries, and effects that fit within the, the, uh, the assembly of believers where God has allotted you. And you're going to operate in your own generational accountability as before the Lord. And there's total confidence that, that you are going to thrive in this, uh, in this way. So when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. Well, you talk about confidence. Here's a confidence that here is a child that is equipped to stand in his own generation. When you walk. And then if you run. If you run. And not every translation, I think, reflects the when and the if. Uh, Holman, I think, struggles, and, and there's others, New, New King James maybe. Um, but I like what it does here. The Hebrew uh, prepositions are different. All right, Between the when, just a, a beta prefix, a beth prefix, and an if. When you walk and if you run. And I like that. I like that, because there's going to be some moments you're going to be running, okay? Either in a positive direction or in a negative direction. What happens if if dark days come and the enemies are at the gate and we're commanded to flee? Are you are you equipped to run? Are you ready to run in those circumstances? It might be a negative running, it might be a positive running. Okay? There may be something you have to pursue after, and you're not going to catch it unless you run. Are you equipped to run? Well. David was confident towards Solomon. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. I love the promises about not stumbling. Okay, Don't always apply them, but I love the principles about not stumbling. Okay, We'll have to address that as well. So, it's your life, <laughs> right? It's my life. Yeah, it will be shortly. All right, or it's not, okay? Yes, it's your life, but whose else is it first? Because you were bought with a price and you are not your own, okay? So, secondarily, it's your life, sure. But before you get to that point, whose life is it? Okay? Point B. Well, actually, some subpoints here. First of all, he says, I have directed you, I have directed you, and the, the term directed I, we could just say teach or shoot. I have shot you. <laughs> That's not good. Um, I have instructed you. I have taught you. I have maybe directed is the best term. But the verb yara of all there's there's different teaching verbs in Hebrew. Okay, uh, and this maybe isn't even the most common of the teaching verbs. I think it's probably second most common of uh, the different choices the author could have used for teach. But what is significant about Yara is that Yara is the root underneath Torah. When you think of the, the law, you think of the Torah. Israel is under the Torah. And we ground our children under the Torah. And we th- we, we translate Torah as law, but but etymologically Torah would be rendered as teaching or doctrine. All right? It is the body of doctrine, the body of teaching that comes from God. And because it comes from God, the source of God and his authority, then we, we are subject to it as unto, as unto a law. Okay? And I think that's interesting as well. <clears throat> that Yara, number 3384, with 46 Old Testament uses, and I'm pretty sure those usages, I'll show you this in a minute, the usages of Yara are limited to the teaching uses of Yara. Because there's other uses that refer to firing an arrow, right? And that, that's the verb Yara. And it doesn't really, does that bother you? It didn't bother the Hebrews any. They, it's pretty obvious in, in context. If somebody's shooting an arrow, then they're shooting an arrow. But if somebody's giving instruction, then they're teaching. Okay? And so they don't really confuse the verbs at all. But do you ever walk out of a Bible class thinking you're just a pincushion because a hundred arrows just plunge deep to the depths of your soul? I know I have. <laughs> you know, that uh, I'm the target and the Lord has shot me full of arrows? Well, doctrinally speaking, instruction pierces, doesn't it? Pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Sometimes the, the arrows from God, from his teaching, plunges to the depths of who we are. I like the fact that Yara is the, is the imagery for teaching. Because uh, instruction should be penetrating. In any event, this is the verb that we had back in verse 4 when he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. So from the youngest of ages, this pattern is, is established. From the youngest of ages, that's why you know our kids are in Sunday school we got the young we got we got 2 and 3 year olds right and they're barely out of the nursery and most of the time they pretty much belong in the nursery anyway but you get them out at 2 and 3 you give them the pattern you teach them how to sit still you get you start building patterns and and customs and they start learning the discipline of sitting in a class and under the authority of the word of god they realize that this is a lifelong pattern and and habits that we're forming from the youngest of ages, even before they know what we're doing with them. <laughs> and uh, and different things there. All right, other examples. And we're gonna go through these verses here in a moment. I'll just show you why you can't always go by the strongest numbers. This is a good illustration, thirty-three eighty four. So I'll pull it up. So, we're in Proverbs chapter four and verse eleven. That's as big as I can make it. Too big? How about that? Is that good? Alright. I'm not forcing you to sit on the back row. No one put a gun to your head and said, sit on the back row. (laughs) Alright. So I have directed you. Now underneath the verb directed, of course, is uh, the Hebrew yara. But I want you to notice something. Uh, With yara... You highlight the lemma there and you do your word study. And this I can't make larger. I'll just have to simply spotlight it for you and let you look at it on your own when you get home. But up in here, when you look at yara right in there, you'll notice there's actually a number three in front of that yara right there. And the reason why is Lagos went ahead and broke down this verb into the three different uh, really main senses that the verb employs. I mean, even more than that in some cases. And so by selecting Yara, you can, you can switch back and forth if you'd like, uh, between one, two, and three. Uh, but it's the third sense of Yara that's the sense that implies to teach or to instruct. All right, The first sense is to shoot, to throw, to cast. <clears throat> the second sense is to water or to be watered. Okay? Widely different uses for the verb. Widely different uses for the verb. And uh, and you can switch between them in your word study window, and you're going to want to switch between them in your word study window because the different senses that this verb employs are so radically different that you might be better off just thinking of them as different words anyway. Okay, Even though it's the same word, it's spelled the same, same letters and everything. Um, And and this is why uh, you could be somewhat limited if all your studies are Strong's number studies because your Strong's number studies are going to give you more uses than just the, uh, the 46 uses that you see there. Okay, Because the 46 uses are the uses that apply just to this third sense of Yara. If I switch to the, uh, to the first sense, to shoot, to throw, to catch, all right. now I'm looking at 28 uses there. And it's got a separate wheel and a separate verse list and so forth. If I go to the, uh, the second use to water to be watered. Alright, well there's only three of those uses. There they are. But it's such a it's such a, a different application for the verb. It's probably better to think of it as uh as a different verb. Okay. A generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. Um Hosea 6 3 like the spring rain watering the earth. Hosea ten uh, 12 until he comes to rain righteousness on you that's we're not going to look at those verses those verses don't relate to what we're talking about today with david teaching solomon and the application of teaching or instruction the disciplined teaching or instruction that underlies the torah that underlies the law okay we simply want to do this third sense which is to instruct or to teach with the 46 uses that we have there including teach teaches teaching instruct instructed instruction taught point or points teacher showed directed this is the only place in the whole old testament where yara is translated as directed in the verse we're looking at today in proverbs 4:11 that's that's why it's just that tiny little sliver right there on the wheel one use out of 46 where Yara is rendered as directed in the New American Standard Translation. Most of the uses, it's rendered as teach. Okay? And like I say, um, you you can play with these wheels for hours on end, you can look at these verses for hours on end, and I recommend that. I recommend just fellowshipping with the Lord in His Word, finding these verses, dwelling on the passages. As I pointed out, there's other verbs for teach, and uh, yara is the second most common. Under lamad, lamad is the most common. Thirty-five uses of lamad rendered teach, and thirty uses of yara that are translated teach. So this is not the only verb you want to look at if you're doing a study on teaching. Now. Again, um one last thing I'll show you and then we'll take a look at those verses I promised you. If you're going to do a lemma search, do a lemma search. And you're going to search for that lemma for yara, third use of yara, okay? Um oh, before I do that, one more thing. I, I keep saying that, don't I? Here's your round driver Briggs lexicon, my favorite Hebrew lexicon. Here's the, and don't even try to read it. I'm not going to increase the size. But there's the, uh, maybe I will increase the size. There's the entry, okay? And as you go through, the the primary meaning is to throw or to shoot. There it is, to throw or to shoot. And uh, there's the cow stem. And you start to get to all these different uses. Definition number one is to throw or to cast. Number two is to cast. Uh, Number three is to shoot. Number four is to throw water or rain. Okay? If you're throwing water, what are you doing? You're you're sending rain to the earth. We can't do that. God does that. Um keep on going down. Get out of the cow stem, get to some of the other stems. You gotta come all the way down here to where we get to definition number five. Is to direct, to teach, to instruct. And that's where we start to get to the usages where really, we're concerned about this morning because that's what we're dealing with in Proverbs chapter 4. We're talking about the verb yara. We're talking about how that verb is used in a teaching context. All right? And so here's where we're going to find verses that relate there. And that's basically what your color wheel is doing on the left. It's showing you that sense of yara and it's showing you the places where it's used there in that third primary sense. All right, now. And this is why... If you use the strong's numbers to uh do your search, I come down here to search for strong's number thirty three eighty four and say, "Show me everywhere that thirty three eighty four is used in the old testament i 'm going to get a list i 'm going to get a list with eighty results and seventy two verses but that 's going to include a lot of the shooting verses, a lot of the casting verses, a lot of the reigning verses, a lot of the verses that don 't really apply. So instead of that, I'm going to do the search on the lemma up here at the top. The lemma. The three yara search. Does that make sense? Danny? you know what I'm talking about? Lewis, you know what I'm talking about? Lemma. Lemma is the, is the vocabulary form of the verb. It's, it's, the, it's the yara form of the verb. It's the lemma dictionary form of the verb. Yeah. And so if I'm just searching that... Now I get 46 results in 46 verses. Now I'm talking about, that's the list of verses I want to look at. Those are the passages I want to study. Because those are the verses that use this verb in this way, in this sense. Okay? All right. No extra charge for that. What does Psalm 25 say? Psalm 25, verse 8 and verse 12 Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Do you ever wonder why God teaches? (laughs) Why does God teach? You know, there is a creator, and he's a communicator, and he's a teacher. He desires for his creation to learn. He desires for his creation to to grow into the holiness that he himself exhibits. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore, those who are not good and upright, i.e., sinners. <laughs> we need to be taught. All right. And this is all a part of his plan. We can, we can appreciate this. So therefore, he yarah. He yarah. He instructs teachers in the way, or sinners in the way. He leads. Notice the combination between teaching and leading. That's what we're dealing with with David and Solomon. I have directed you and I have led you, is what he says in Proverbs 4. Here again, we have teaching or instruction and we have leading. He leads the humble in justice and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? He, that is the Lord, will instruct him, the man who fears the Lord, in the way he should choose. So God is the one who yarahs. Verse 8 and verse 12 of, of, of Psalm 25, the, the principle is there. He will yarah him in the way he should choose. Notice, I love this. What is the, what is the goal of Doctrine. What is the goal of, of Bible class? Is it are we are we just accumulating as much doctrine and residency as possible? Are we, I mean that's part of it, but that's not all of it. It's not just accumulating a stockpile of, of 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 data of information to where we can quantify it and and where you know more than the next guy, okay? Or within the capacity of what you know, knowing you know there's more to know, but within the capacity of what you do know. How do you make decisions? How do you choose? The fact is that God has designed us as volitional beings, and God teaches us so that we can exercise our volition appropriately, so that we are because we are free to choose. How do we choose? I like this in verse 12. The man who fears the Lord, that's the man who will be instructed. Yahweh will instruct, Yahweh will Yarah him in the way he should choose. You know how to make decisions, right? And and is this not the definition of adult capacity? You know, the child is the one that doesn't have the capacity to make choices for himself. What to eat, what to wear, what to do, where to live. But the older and older that the child grows, gradually he's allowed more freedom, or she is allowed more freedom how to dress, what to wear. Nope, can't wear that. (laughs) Um, But more and more freedom still within boundaries. Okay? Until they leave home and and hopefully by then they know how to make right choices. Okay? Because they're going to live with the consequences of their poor choices. The definition of adult capacity is you've had the instruction to make the right choices. All right, so that's Psalm 25, verse 8 and verse 12. This is how God instructs us. This is how David instructed Solomon. This is how we ought to be instructing our children, preparing them for the next generation. Psalm 27:11. Psalm 27. Another Davidic psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I don't know. I was thinking Psalm twenty seven was Solomon's Psalm for a moment there. I was wrong. All right. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? Well, it's a good passage to make use of in adult capacity. Verse eleven. Do I need to get to more of this? Let's see. Yeah. There is so much conflict in this in this chapter. I hate to just grab verse 11 all by itself. Okay. So the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. So when push came to shove, <laughs> who's still standing? Okay. David has all the assurance that God has been his strength. God has been his defender. It's the adversaries that have stumbled. It's the enemies that have fallen. Look at that. Praise be to the Lord. David says, I'm still here. <laughs> you know, man, they hated me. They wanted to bring me down. They did everything they satanically could, but I'm still standing and they've all fallen because God's for me. What a testimony. Though a house, and keep that in mind because stumbling is a theme in Proverbs 4 and, and, and when, you, when you equip your children, they are equipped to not stumble. Stumble. I'm not saying they won't ever, but they're equipped to not. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arises against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold, To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Here's David, heavenly focused. The one priority in life is that, for all eternity, he's going to live with his Lord, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. Notice that the the temporal life days, the battles here and there, the for better or for the worse, for the you know the struggles of marriage and family and everything else that happens. all of our testing in time is just testing in time. I'm looking forward to that perfect day. I'm looking forward to that day when I'm living with Jesus Christ for all eternity. I keep my eyes fixed there. Everything else here in time is momentary light afflictions. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. I don't think a lot of believers know what that intimate secret place of his tent even is. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Praises, to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. <laughs> you ever think about it? When, when did God say, Seek my face? You ever wonder about that? When how about when testing hits you out of the blue? And you know, wham, oh man, that's God's way of saying, Seek my face. Your prayer life isn't what it should be. Seek my face. Don't grumble about why do I have to do this, why me, woe is me, blah, blah, blah. That's God's way of saying, seek my face. David responded, okay, Lord, you said seek my face, I'm seeking your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You're the God of my positional salvation. You're going to be the God of my experiential salvation. And a day is coming, you're going to be the God of my ultimate salvation when I'm face to face with you for all eternity. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. You know, do you ever feel like you're abandoned, your whole family's against you? That's the context for teach me your way, O Lord. Okay, it's not in the dry, sterile peaceful, friendly, Wednesday morning Bible class of... of, No, this is in the fire, in the conflict, in the turmoil. Parents are against you. Everyone's against you. But you're crying out to the Lord. You're in the secret, hidden place of His tent. Teach me. What am I going to learn in this test? You told me to call upon you. I'm calling upon your face. Teach me. What am I going to learn? Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Teaching combined with leading, that's how the Lord does it. Teach me and lead me, all right, Lord, I don't know where this path goes, but you put me on it. <laughs> so it may be the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil. You're with me. let's do this. let's see where this let's see where this path goes. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversary, very similar to what verses we just saw. False witnesses have risen against me, such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What a promise. What a promise. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Understand the answer may not come today. This could be a two-day test, a five-day test, a ten-year test. Wait. Wait. Don't don't lose heart. Don't despair. You're going to see goodness. It will work together for good, either this life or the next. Just wait for it. So much that we can learn. So do away with the primitive prayers, the childish prayers. Take it away. Fix it. No. Teach me what I need to learn through this test. When I learn what I need to learn, when there's no more purpose for this test, then obviously the test will be over. Until then, I want to learn what I'm going to learn. I'm going to walk where you take me. Where is this test taking me? All right. There we go. Twitchy fingers this morning. Psalm thirty two eight. Psalm eighty six eleven. Hmm. Psalm thirty two eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that great? Who needs counselors? <laughs> we got the Lord. You know? With my eye upon you, He's aware of what's going on. He will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. It may not be what you want to learn, but it's the way you should go. <laughs> it's where you need to be. It's what He has designed for you. Why do we have this golden corral approach to Christianity? You know, I want to pick and choose what I want to learn. I want to pick and choose the lessons I want to learn. Father, I want to, I want to learn the I want to learn the, the, the prosperity test right now, Lord. The Lord says, you can't handle a prosperity test right now. You've got to learn the adversity test right now. There's a whole lot of things. Yeah, there's nine things you've got to learn before you can get to that one, and you're not ready for any of them. See, God knows. His eye is on you. He sees better than you do. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. Isn't that great? Not only does he expect you to learn but he expects you to be an adult about it, to be thinking. You're not just an animal. You're not a dumb brute. God has no desire to treat you like a like a horse or a mule, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Is really do you want God to treat you like that? Put a bit in your mouth and and just have a kind of a puppet control of your life all day long? What is that? I think there's some Calvinistic sovereignty views that kind of approach that. They just want to be totally under God's bit and bridle and, and they do whatever God turns them to do and this and that. No, God expects you to, He gave you a mind use it. Think. Have the adult capacity to know His will and serve Him intelligently. You know, yeah, He designed horses, but He does, and you're not a horse. He designed you. <laughs> Think, you're in His image. You have capacity to operate in His directive will, His discretionary will. All right. Well. There's more there. Uh Psalm 86:11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will know a lot. Oh wait. <laughs> not that I will know a lot, I will walk in your truth. It becomes, the, it becomes the realm in which I live, I function, I operate. My whole life, my existence is in the realm of truth because he has taught me this. Unite my heart to fear your name. I realize that I'm supposed to fear the Lord and I struggle with that. He needs to do that. He needs to work in me to produce that. Unite my heart to fear your name. I want to have the kind of intimacy with the Lord where my heart is tuned to His heart. Okay? Are we one spirit with the Lord? We're supposed to be. Are we united in heart with the Lord? We're supposed to be. And look again, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of violent men have sought my life. How is it that in every single one of these passages that we have teach me, it's not an academic classroom on a friendly Wednesday morning? All right? It's angelic conflict. It's adversaries. It's enemies. It's problems in life. We keep seeing that again and again and again and again. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 33 and 102. Beginning of the Hey Strophe. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law. So we have the Yara teaching, and then we have the Torah law in verse 34. And keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. You'll notice this, this, the teaching is not academic. I mean, it is, but it, it affects how you live. It affects how you think. It affects how you operate. Not only do you have the teaching, you have the understanding, and you're keeping it. Incline my heart to your testimony. That's a concept we studied under the principle of eagerness. Is our heart inclined? Is, are we on the edge of our seat waiting for the next block of instruction? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me. Cause me to live. It's a causative stem for life. We want to lay hold of that which is life indeed. Okay? That's not bios life. We were talking about that earlier. It's not bios life. It's not our biological life. It's not waking up and going to work and making money and putting food on the table and, you know, unbelievers do that. We're talking about that which is life indeed. Cause me to live. Jesus Christ said, I've come that they might have life. They may have it abundantly. All right. Verse 102 of the same psalm. There we go. Oh, how I love your law. This is the meme prefix, uh, strophe, starting in verse 97. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Remember? Personalize, Be persuaded. It is persuasive and personal. They are forever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. So I think this psalmist here is one that took Proverbs to heart. This young man on the death march to Babylon was a living embodiment of Proverbs chapter four. He's ready to step forth into his own adult generation capacity. I don't think he's even old enough to do that. Probably ain't even old enough for his bar mitzvah yet, and he's spiritually he's ready for it. Restrain my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. You yourself have, Yara, taught me. That's why he has not turned aside from your ordinances. At what point does the child realize, man, this isn't just my parents being, you know, mean. This isn't just my mom and dad teaching me. This is the Lord teaching me. This isn't just the pastor preaching. This is God. And at some point, the child realizes, wait a minute. <laughs> this is real. I'm not just going to go to church because my parents are making me. I need, to, I need it. I need to be fed. I need to walk with Jesus Christ. I need to grow. That's when they've reached this point. For you yourself have taught me. The final verse of the strophe there. Um, From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Do a study on what we're supposed to hate. Okay? If we love God, we'll hate what He hates. That's a love application. Finally, and as, I wanted to limit this strictly to the Psalms and Proverbs because it's kind of, I thought, most connected to what we're looking at in... Uh, in uh, Proverbs 4, we're not seeing all the 46 uses of Yara, but I thought, okay, if I just limit the sample to Psalms and Proverbs, we'll do real well with it, but I couldn't leave out Isaiah 28, 9. Why could I not leave out Isaiah 28, 9? We were there last week, that's right, and remember, this is the, the passage that defines what we do here. To whom would he teach knowledge? To whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from the milk? Those just taken from the breast? Yes. (laughs) Yes. He would. Order on order. Order on order. Line on line. Line on line. A little here. A little there. God has designed his word to be taught. Repetitively. Consistently. Drill it into the child. Till he knows it by heart until he can't forget it. A little here, a little there. Order on order, order on order. Okay? And, the, and in Isaiah's day, they were mocking him for being so, uh, for his style of teaching, or for his methodology. And he says, this is God's methodology. This is how God instructs. A little here, a little there. And does it sound like baby talk to you? Lama, lama. Does it sound like baby talk to you? Well, fine. <laughs> That's how God operates. All right, I have directed you, and then secondly, I have led you. I have directed you, and I have led you. The greatest opportunity that your teaching has for impact is when you exemplify the teaching. You're not just yelling at somebody, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You're not a hypocrite that's saying one thing and doing another trying to tell your child, well, do as I say, not as I do, that will never work. That will. Never, your child will see what you're doing and say, well, forget you, buddy. You know, you say don't do this, but this is what you're doing. Obviously, it's fun. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> All right. It's a matter of teaching and it's a matter of setting the example. Leadership means you're, you're, you're treading the path. You're walking the same walk they're walking. The verb darak, darak, 1869, and it's got 62 Old Testament uses. And the verb, maybe not as familiar to you, as the noun. The noun is derak. The noun is way or road or path. A derak is, 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 is a path, is a way. One of the most common nouns in the whole Hebrew Old Testament is derak, one of the early ones you ever learn. The second noun derak, Right? Well, this is the verb behind Derek. How does a path become a path? You ever wonder? You know, I mean, you know where trees come from, you know where plants come from, but where do paths come from? You go, wow, there's a path. Okay? Well, feet made that path. Animal feet, human feet, something. Something tread that ground. Something trampled that ground. Something... um, crossed that space of the earth and uh and and dampened the, the, the plants and the and the whatever else and now you've got a path. Okay? Either a dirt path or a grass path or some kind of a path, moss or whatever. It's a it's a path, and the only way paths come about is something's walking across. Like I say, people, animals, something. Soldiers, okay? And so um this is what we do. And, and, and if, biblically speaking, if the parents are walking this walk, the children are following in that, we say following in the footsteps, right? We say following in the, in the path. In some cases, it's a, it's a rough road. To <laughs> I think the hardest road is that first generation, okay? Like my parents. They didn't grow up. I mean, my dad anyway. He didn't have a, a father and mother to look to with a biblical example, so he's the, he's the trailblazer in that respect as far as the generational accountability goes in, in my family. Second generation has an easier time with it. Why? Because dad already beat down the path. My kids have it better than me because now they've got two generations in front of them that beat down that path. All right. So the verb is Darak. 1869. That was a good year. Well, maybe not. <laughs> what happened in 1869? I don't know. Um, Anyway, back to, we were just there, weren't we? Psalm 25, verse 5 and verse 9. Okay, we don't need to reread it again. I highlighted it when we saw. There was teach and there was led. I taught you, I led you. You will teach me, you will lead me. Right there in tandem with verse 8 and verse 12 is the use of darak in verse 5 and verse 9. Likewise, Psalm uh, 119, verse 35, same context. We were just there. In Psalm 119, we saw in verse 33, close proximity there is verse 35. Uh, We've not seen, real quickly, we've got to wrap up uh, Psalm 107.7. Reviewing the history here. Psalm 107, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His lovingkindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, I mean, why did He save us? He saved us that we, He called us so we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who delivered us out of darkness into light, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region, and they did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. By a straight way, an upright way. I think the term there should be upright. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness, for His wonders to the sons of men, for He has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness in the shadow of death. Thank God that's not us anymore. Prisoners in misery and in chains. But what a passage. This whole Psalm 107. Anyway, he led them by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Level, that's the term. And that's what we're dealing with. We're now in the church age. We're now in our post-salvation walk. Where are we headed for? We're headed for heaven. That's where we're headed for. He's leading us. Finally then, uh, Psalm Isaiah 42.16 It's easier if I put those little crosses in there to click on, but it takes about two hours to put all those little crosses in, and, and it's something I'm only going to do once in a, in a and I just couldn't justify the use of time, but I will lead the blind, by the way, they do not know in paths they do not know. I will guide them. You don't have to know where you're going. He does. okay. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. Say, well, it's too dark. God's got a handle on that. It's too rugged. He can handle that. These are the things I will do. I will not leave them undone. What a blessing. Isaiah 48, 17, last passage. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, <laughs> don't blame me, I taught you all right Father, thank you for this day, thank you for this study, thank you for proverbs four thank you for the transition from one generation to the next in the expectation that uh, having been taught having been led uh, that this this young man is ready to step forth in his generation when he walks no obstacles. When he runs, he will not stumble. Thank you, Father, for, these, for this pattern. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement, what you expect of us. And most of all, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. From generation to generation, you are. And we thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.